Open, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. When we decided to uh, do this Sunday night series on favorite passages, uh, that's kind of a hard thing to do uh, because there's so many different passages that are, that are so good. And so I could have picked a lot of different passages, uh, but I didn't. I just picked one, and I chose Ephesians chapter 2. And the whole beginning part of Ephesians chapter 2 is really, really good, of course. Many of you are familiar with it. Um, but the second half of Ephesians 2 is, is as good or maybe better even than the, than the first part that we're all familiar with. And so I want to focus there on, uh, on some of these verses here in the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, back on? There we go. It's a really, really good movie. It has um, Kevin Costner in it and Clint Eastwood in it, and I don't want to give it all away because, um, because hopefully some of you maybe go watch, will go watch it, but um, it begins with this, with this little boy, and uh, Kevin Costner is, a, is an inmate who's broken out of prison, and uh, he and his partner that broke out together, um, they end up kidnapping this little boy and taking him hostage with them, and the whole movie is Kevin Costner is this bad guy and this little boy, and uh, and then Clint Eastwood is a is a sheriff who's who's chased, or a, I think he's a Texas, um, uh, not a sheriff, but a uh, marshal, like a Texas Ranger marshal kind of thing. Thank you, Miss Jetty, who's uh, who's chasing them the whole time and and trying trying to connect, trying to to capture them. And so the whole movie is is um, Kevin Costner is this bad guy that's broken out of prison, kidnapped this kid. Um, but as the movie goes along, Kevin Costner and, and the kid kind of kind of bond to each other. And at the end of the movie, there's a scene in the field where they've captured him, they've kind of surrounded him, and there's nowhere for him to go. And it's just him and the little boy there. Um, and I won't tell you how, how, the, how it ends. You should watch it for yourself. But, but it started out as them kind of against each other, and it ends up with them um, kind of for each other, kind of, kind of with each other. They, they, they like each other. Uh, the boy, you can tell, loves the, the Kevin Costner ca character um, by, the, by the end of the movie. Another movie we're all familiar with that's like that is, is E.T., right? At the very beginning of the movie E.T., uh, the, the E.T., uh, I guess that's his name, right? E.T. comes down, and, and they find him, and they, um, they, uh, they, they you know, string him along with the, with the Reese's Pieces, not the Reese's Pieces. That's not how you say it. It's Reese's Pieces. They, but they, they get him to follow along the trail of the Reese's Pieces, and they... And they get him in the house, but, they, but at the beginning, they're kind of afraid of each other. They're afraid of E.T. E.T.'s afraid of them. Um, by the end of the movie, they're taking him, uh, you know, to meet, to meet his family and to get picked up by the spaceship, and they're, they're crying and, and, and because they've built this, this love for one another, right? They've been kind of reconciled to one another. Then there's stories like this in, in the Bible. One of them is, is the story of Jacob and Esau. If you're familiar with that story, whenever... Um, Whatever Jacob tricked Esau into getting the birthright, and then Jacob left, and 
and he got, the, he got his two wives, and he's coming back now. And if you remember the story, he put everyone in front of him, and he, he's at the very back because he's afraid of how Esau is going to receive him. And, and he's, he, he sends, um, I don't know, some big number, 100, 1,000, I'm not sure what, but he sends this big number of, of livestock in front of him and, and with, some, with some servants with it so that when, when they meet Esau first, it's an offering that he's given to him. And then after those, there's some more livestock and, and maybe some other things. I can't remember the exact details, but, but, but he's, he, he, he's, um, he's trying to set up this kind of buying back the, the affection of his brother Esau or... Um, or at least uh, trying to, to gain forgiveness for what he had done to his brother Esau in the past. And, and if you remember that story, when they finally do meet one another, Esau um, is not mad at Jacob anymore. Esau hugs his brother and, and invites his brother and all the, all the family to, to come and live there with them. And the Bible's full of these kind of stories. Uh, the prodigal son is another good example of that, where the, the son has done these things to the father and he's expecting there to be um, judgment and condemnation. And then we get there, the father embraces him and, and, and welcomes him back. Um, I like reading, and I, and I especially like reading biographies. And, and one biography that I read a, a while ago um, was called Born Again. And some of you may have heard of that, of that book. It's, it's the autobiography, actually, of um, Charles Colson. And, you know, he's the guy that, that started Prison Fellowship Ministries and, and did some other things, wrote some really good worldview books and things like that. Um, but before all that, before he was a believer, you may know he was... He worked in the Nixon White House, uh, the, the Nixon administration. He was known as the hatchet man because he's the guy that did all the, all the dirty tricks and planned all the dirty tricks and, and executed them. All the, all the names that you're familiar with that, um, that, that got in trouble with the, with the Watergate um, situation were uh, employees of his in the White House. He was their overseer, their supervisor. Um, e. Howard Hunt and um, uh, the guy that's got the radio show now, I can't think of his name, but... Um, but all the different ones that got in trouble and went to prison were, were working for, for him. He was the hatchet man. And, and as you know, Nixon was a Republican, and so Colson was a Republican, and he's doing all these dirty tricks against the, uh, against the Democrats that they're, that they're running against to, to get Nixon reelected, and they're, they're doing all kinds of things, like the Democrats are having rallies at, at different places, and, and, and they call up and cancel the, the, the venue that they have uh, scheduled, so they get there, and there's, and, and there's no place for them to have their rally. Um, or they pass out invitations to uh, a thousand people where they were expecting, you know, a, a gathering of, of 200. So there's this reception for 200 people, and there's a thousand people that show up, and there's no food or anything for them. And, and then, of course, worse, worse thing, things than that as well, um, that he was in charge of. And there's this, this awesome story in, in, in his autobiography of, of after he became a believer, um, he, he was working in D.C., still working in, in, in the Nixon administration. He hadn't gone to prison yet, hadn't been convicted yet. And so he's still working in the Nixon administration. He, he, he's a believer now, believing in Jesus. That's why the book's called Born Again. Um, and he finds out about this Bible study that happens in D.C. in the basement of the White House every, I don't know if it was Monday, I think it was every Monday. It was one, one day a week. Every week it, it met there in the basement of the White House. And, and he learns about it, and his friends are encouraging him to go to it. It's a small group of people, but his friends are encouraging him to go to it. Um, and and he, he's kind of apprehensive about going because... One of the attenders of the Bible study, one of the leaders in the Bible study, is a guy named uh, named um, a guy named um, he was the the senator from from Kansas. His name was Hughes, Howard Hughes, Howard Hughes, and so he's he's the senator from I think it was from Kansas, and so he's the one that leads it, and and he's one of the leaders of the Democrats, and and Coulson's this this bad guy in the in the Republican Party, he's doing all these dirty tricks and things, and and he he's afraid to go to this Bible study because 
um, because Howard Hunt is there. And so he finally does go, and when he goes, he's embraced. Um, all, all the all the, the, the animosity between the two because of their party affiliations and the, the, the things that, that they've done are, are all swept aside, and, and uh, this congressman embraces him, hugs him, welcomes him, um, and, and refers to him and, and, and treats him as a brother in Christ, not as a Republican enemy, right? They're no longer enemies. Now they're, now they're friends. Um, and and, and we, love, we love stories like this. We love stories of redemption. We love stories of, of reconciliation. Books are about these kind of things. Movies are about these kind of things. And, and we enjoy those. And I want us, want us to look at this passage in, in Ephesians because that's exactly what Paul is telling us about here. Take a man like Charles Colson and a man like uh, this uh, Congressman Hunt and, and how they're complete enemies to one another. And, and how is it that this transformation happens to where they are uh, automatically within, within moments, within seconds of finding out that they're both believers, they're, uh, they're reconciled to one another. So let's look at Ephesians chapter, chapter 2. I know I've got verses 13 through 16 on the, on the bulletin there, but I'm going to start reading in verse 11 and, and read through verse 17 to get the full context of it. So therefore, he says in verse 11, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. We, each of us, all of us, are in need of uh, this reconciliation. We're in need of, of peace, right? We think of peace often in, in, in the Bible. We think of peace or in our lives. We think of peace as, um, I think we spoke about this before, but we think of peace sometimes as just like a, like a feeling, right? A peaceful feeling. We know that eagle song, the peaceful, easy feeling, um, Growing up, my mom all the time would say she needs, just needs some peace and quiet, right? And, and that's kind of what we think of when we think of peace. And, and sometimes the Bible um, talks about peace in, in, in that way. But most of the time when the Bible's talking about peace, it's talking about peace as the opposite of war or as the opposite of hostility or as the opposite of this, this animosity, this, this division, right? Peace is a, is a subjective feeling, but, but even more so in the Bible especially, peace is an objective reality. And, and we need that, right? Think back to what he just got through saying in, in these early verses here. He's, he's talking about Gentiles. He, he has five, uh, five um, descriptions of us that are, that are not good. He says we're, uh, in verse 12, we were separated from Christ. Well, that's not good, right? We are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That's not good because uh, Israel was the people of God, right? We're, the Gentiles were alienated from the people of God. They were strangers to the covenants of promise, right? Those promises were made through, uh, the, through the covenants with the nation of Israel. So we're, they were separated from that, had no hope, and were without God in the world. That's a pretty bad situation to be in. 
we need to be reconciled to, to God. In this situation, as you are fully aware, we're the ones that are wrong, right? We're in the situation of Charles Colson, right? The, the other senator, this, this Senator Hunt, had not done anything negative necessarily. He was just leading his Democratic Party. Colson's the one that had done all the dirty tricks and done all the, all the, all the wrong things to them, right? Um, Colson's the one that, needs, that needed to be reconciled. We're, we're the ones that are in that situation with, with God. And, and the good news is that God has provided that reconciliation to us. God has provided that peace to us, and he's done it in two different ways or two different realms. We might say vertically and horizontally, right? First of all, we have peace with God. We have reconciliation with, with God. Look, at, look back at verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, think of those five things he said before, those of you who once were far off from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. At one time, we were separated from God. At one time, we were far off from God. Um, it's not, not enough for him to say that we were separated, but he says that we were far off. We were separated by a great distance, or we might say by a great, um, uh, a, a great thing in, in between us, right? God's on one side, we're on the other side. Our sin's in the middle, and our sins are great. There's this great barrier between us and, and God, and yet he says that, that, that Christ has made peace. Look at verse 16. It says, he might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We have been brought near to God. God has reconciled us to himself through the blood of Jesus. It's something God did. It's not something we did. It's something that, that God did. He brought us near to himself. Like the story of, of Jacob and Esau, Jacob was in no position to demand peace. Right? He was coming back, and he's the one that had wronged Esau, and he was offering these things and, and, and hoping that Esau would accept him back. But Jacob was in no position to demand that Esau do so. He was in no position to say, you, you, must, uh, you must accept me back, or you'd be wrong if you didn't accept me back. But in, in Esau's mind, there's not a need for appeasement. If you read that passage, um, Esau said, what's, what's the meaning of this? What's the meaning of these? Why are you sending these things uh, up here to me. Why are you afraid to come and meet me? I'm, I can't wait to come meet you. In the prodigal son story, the, the son has, has that speech all uh, rehearsed of how he's going to ask to become a servant in his, uh, on his father's uh, farm and, and property. And, and he's got all this, all this stuff about how I don't deserve to be a son anymore and I, and I wasted all the money and those kind of things. Just accept me back as a servant. If you remember that story, the father doesn't even let him get finished with that speech. But he embraces him, and he runs to meet him, and embraces him, and, and, and brings him in, and puts the, the ring on his finger as his son, and puts him in a robe, dresses him as his son. They have a big, big celebration because his son that was dead is now back alive. The, the father did all that. The, 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 the son didn't have anything to do with that. The son couldn't have made an appeal to the father um, in, 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 in a way that the father was obligated to respond to the son. But the father responded mercifully, graciously. And that's how God has responded to us. He's reconciled us to himself. There's no longer anything between us and, and God. Nothing separates from us from God. We have been brought near. I said there's nothing between us and God. That's not exactly true, and we'll get back to that in a second. But nothing separates us from God. And so I ask you, before we go any forward, do you have peace with God tonight? Not a, not a peaceful feeling, not, a, not an easy feeling, but are you at peace with God? Are you, are you reconciled to God, or are you still at war? Are you still hostile toward God? Are you still 
and have this animosity between you and God. Is, is he your enemy or is he your ally? But not only did Jesus reconcile us to God, look at verse 14, 15, and 16. Verse 14, talking about Jesus, it says, for he himself is our peace. Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's a lot of stuff there that, that we could go off on tangents and talk about. What does it mean that he has abolished the law of, uh, of commandments? What does it mean that those commandments were expressed in ordinances? We could, get, we could get lost in a lot of those details, but I don't want to do that tonight. I want to focus on the big picture that what God has done in Christ is reconciled us to himself and reconciled us to one another. Reconciled us to himself and also reconciled us to each other. We've been brought near to God we've also been brought near to one another. We have peace with God, we also have peace with one another. And remember the way we're using peace. It's not that we always feel at peace with one another, right? It's not that we always are happy with each other. It's not that there are no bickering or fighting or, or disagreements among one another. We should work to make those things not be the case. We should work to, to resolve those conflicts when they do come up, but God has reconciled us to each other. Nothing divides us anymore. We're not at war with one another anymore. We're at peace with each other. We're allies to one another. We're brothers and sisters with one another. We've been united to God and united to one another. All divisions between us and, and other believers, other Christians, are, are secondary, right? There used to be Jews and Gentiles. There used to be men and women. There used to be uh, rich and poor, right? There used to be Republicans and Democrats. There used to be UK fans and UofL fans, right? But those things are all secondary. Those things are all secondary now. We've been united to one another. He's taken these divisions. God's taken these categories, and he's, he's taken them away. He's stripped them away. God's made a new man in place of the two. There used to be Jews and Gentiles, right? That used to be the division. If you read through the Bible, the Old Testament all the way up through the New Testament, there's this division between Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews are God's people and everyone else are Gentiles, right? But Paul here says there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. Look at the kind of middle of verse 15. He says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's, there, there's a new race of, of men that, that, that God created in Christ. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. Now there's believer and unbeliever believer and unbeliever, and, and, and those distinctions uh, reign over every other distinction. There's only Christian and non-Christian. This, by the way, is why we have a greeting time, right? Some of y'all may not even realize the importance of having a greeting time on, on Sunday morning or Sunday night service. Some of you may think that's just a time to kind of uh, get caught up with one another, and, 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 and it is that, but, but more than that, it's a way for us to demonstrate the truth, this truth of the gospel, that God has reconciled us to himself, but God has also reconciled us to one another. Some of y'all may remember um, before that what we call their greeting time today used to be called something different. Anybody remember what it, what it used to be called? 
fellowship time? Anyone ever heard it called the passing of the peace? In some churches, it's called the passing of the peace. And it's a greeting time with one another, but it's not, it's not a greeting, hi, how are you? Most of us do that before the service starts. But it's the, the passing of the peace. The, the, it's a way to demonstrate this, this point of the gospel, that God has reconciled us to one another, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that we matter to one another, that we're important to each other, that, that we care. And so I ask you, do you have peace with other believers? Has God reconciled you to himself? Has God reconciled you to your brothers and sisters? Are there people in the family of God that you are disconnected from? Are there people in the family of God that you are estranged from? Are there things between you and other believers that need to be dealt with? In verse 14, he says, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down the flesh in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. It's true that God has reconciled us to himself. It's true that God has reconciled us to one another, but he's done that through Jesus. This is why I said before, you know, remember when I said that, that there's nothing that stands between us and God anymore? That's not exactly true because Jesus stands between us and God. We can approach God. We have peace with God because Jesus stands in the middle and reconciles us to God the Father. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that, that he is our mediator, the man Christ Jesus. He's both man and God, and because he is so, he can mediate between us and God. Jesus stands between us and God, connecting us, bridging that gap of sin uh, that, that we might be in his presence, and that he might look on us with, with grace and mercy and favor. And Jesus also stands between us and other believers, bridging that gap as well. He's reconciled us through himself. He is our peace. The reason I can have peace with you and you can have peace with me is because we both have peace with Jesus. And he reconciles us and unites us to one another. It's interesting, toward the end of, of the gospel accounts, especially in John chapter 20 and Luke chapter 24 and, and other places, at the end of the, end of the gospels, after Jesus is, is uh, crucified and buried and then he's resurrected, and there's several times, remember, where he appears to the different disciples. He appears to two or three at a time, then he appears to all of them at the same time, and he appears to them in the upper room when they think the door's locked. Remember those stories where he's appearing to, the, to, to different groups of the disciples? Not every time, but often when he does so, the way he greets them is, peace be with you. Peace be with you, right? And that's a significant greeting, especially after the resurrection, because there really is peace between them and God now. There really is peace between them and, and, and Jesus now. The war is over. The war has been, has been won. The victory has been won by our Savior Jesus. He stands between us and God, and he stands between us and, and other people. And so I asked, are you reconciled to God? Are you reconciled to other believers? There used to be Jews and Gentiles. Now there's not. There used to be men and women uh, as, as, as far as this goes, now there's not. There used to be um, Americans and Ecuadorians and Mexicans, and, and, and now there's not. There's, now there's believers and, and unbelievers. There used to be black churches and white churches. There used to be black people and white people. Now there's not. Now there's believers and unbelievers. And we should be reconciled. We should be at peace with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what their backgrounds, no matter where they're from, no matter what language they speak, no matter what foods they eat, no matter, no matter anything about them. And as our, 
as our uh, church's covenant, covenant says, we should be slow to be offended by one another. We should be slow to be offended by one another. We've been reconciled to one another through Christ. He is our peace. And so we should be slow to take offense. And we should be quick to forgive. We should be slow to take offense and we should be quick to forgive. We should look for ways to be at peace with one another. In Romans chapter 12, In Romans chapter 12, um, not Romans chapter 12, somewhere else Paul says that we should, uh, as far as it is within our power, we should live at peace with everyone, right? As far as it's within our power, we should live at peace with everyone. It's not always within our power, right? But as, as far as it is within our power, as far as it's up to us, we should live at peace with everyone, especially with other believers, especially with our brothers and sisters in, in Christ. We should be slow to be offended by one another. We should be quick to forgive one another. The battle's over. Peace has been declared between us and God, and because of that, there can be peace between us and, and other people. And then finally, I want to just direct you for a second to, to verse 17, where we ended reading. Ephesians 2, 17, he says, He came, Jesus came, and preached peace to you who are far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, Jews. Jesus came, and, and, and part of what Jesus did was to spread this mission of the, of the good news that, that peace is at hand, that the battle's over. And he's left us that mission as well. He's left us that mission as well. Jesus came preaching peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. And he's called us to continue preaching peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. And so I ask you as we, as we close tonight, do you have peace with God? Are you at peace with God? Again, not, not a feeling, not a subjective thing you might have, but objectively, have your sins been dealt with? Has the hostility between you and God been, been dealt with? Are you at peace with with God. And then secondly, I ask, are you at peace with other believers? Are you at peace with one another? Are you at peace with brothers and sisters in, in, in Christ? Or are you quick to be offended? Do you get bent out of shape over every little thing? When someone does offend you, are you quick to forgive? Or do you hold, hold that grudge and, and, and try to use it the best way you can? And then finally, I ask, are you spreading this peace? Are you an instrument of peace? Are you spreading this peace? Are you an ambassador for the peace that Jesus has secured? Use your life, your words, your actions, your attitudes, your talents, your resources. Are you spreading this peace that Jesus has won for us? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that there is, that it's even possible for us to come and pray to you right now. And God, we end our prayers in Jesus' name, not, not as a ritual, not as, not as just the way we do it, but because we know that it's through Jesus that we have been reconciled to you. It's through Jesus that you hear our prayers even right now and, and, and answer them. And God, I thank you for that. I pray that we are all 
at peace with you. And, and God, I, I do pray that we feel that peace and we know that peace. And God, I pray that you would help us to live that peace out among one another. We've been reconciled to you. Father, help us to live as people that have been reconciled to one another. And then God, help us to be faithful and to look for opportunities and be bold in spreading that opportunity of peace to, to those around us who have not found it yet, those who are still fighting. Father, help us to reconcile them to, to you through Christ, through Jesus. And God, we thank you for him and pray all these things in his name. Amen.